Today's episode of Canary in a Coal Mine is brought to you by ShopRemoteOffice.com. Now, if you notice, the show looks a little different today. I got this fun little background behind me, and you would have no idea that behind me is a green screen instead of the bedroom that I am occupying right now because I'm under the weather, so I've put myself in self-quarantine. But thanks to my friends at shopremoteoffice.com. You too can have an amazing backdrop for all of your podcasting, Skype calls, business meetings, whatever you need, and nobody will have any idea where you are. They'll have no idea what's behind you. They'll have no idea if there's kids' toys. But anyway, visit our friends at shopremoteoffice.com, enter the discount code Ari Hoffman, and save 10% on your order. That's shopremoteoffice.com. <laughs> John Bachman, now the blowback to these increasingly restrictive COVID-19 lockdown orders gets more intense every day. In Los Angeles, restaurant owner Angela Marsden built this $80,000 socially distanced outdoor dining area just to have it shut down. L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti did approve an outdoor dining area for a movie production right across the street from her bar, so naturally she was devastated. And people wonder why I'm protesting and why I have had enough. <laughs> They have not given us money and they have shut us down. We cannot survive. My staff cannot survive. I'm sure you've probably seen that video before, but we played it again because you can hear the emotion in her voice. In Los Angeles, film production work is essential. Film crews do get tested for COVID, but that doesn't dull the pain of that woman losing her livelihood. Now in Michigan, a restaurant owner named Dave Morris is being fined $1,000 a day for defying a ban on indoor dining in that state. We got a government that has taken the stimulus money, they gave it to special campaign donors, they gave it to special interests, they abandoned me, and they have put me in a position where I have to fight back, okay? Morris was on Newsmax TV earlier today. That was the moment that went viral, uh, confronting a local news reporter there, sharing his raw emotion here. Does this remind you of anything? Maybe the Tea Party movement? Cue up CNBC's Rick Santelli. It's science. If it's you're wearing a mask, science. it's a different story. 500 people at a Lowe's aren't any safer than 150 people in a restaurant that holds 600. I don't believe it. Sorry. Don't believe okay. it. And I you, live in an area don't... where there's a lot of restaurants that have fought back and they don't have any problems. And they're open. Santelli, okay. a member of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange there, Chicago man, talking about how these lockdowns are affecting all of us. He is the man of the people, Santelli. Let's welcome in now two other men of the people, Seattle City Council candidate once upon a time, now writer at the Post, Millennial Ari Hoffman. Also back with us, host of the Dan O'Donnell Show on Milwaukee's News Talk 1130, Dan O'Donnell. Dan, Ari, great to see you both. Good to be here. Uh, don't you Absolutely. Guys, don't you guys just want to have a beer with Rick Santelli and we can all you know, toast this and say thanks again for speaking up for so many people here. Again, he's not in New York or Washington, D.C. He's in Chicago. He understands the real aspect of this outside of that little bubble there. Ari, how, how great did it feel for you to hear Santelli put those words on TV like that? 
Oh, it was amazing. And I was shocked that it was being broadcast on MSNBC and he wasn't being shut down. This could not be more clear than Pete Davidson on Saturday Night Live this week absolutely tearing into Staten Island bar opener uh, bars for being open and saying how they were in danger of killing people. Meanwhile, the Hollywood establishment is open. Saturday Night Live is open. People are sitting there in the audience of Saturday Night Live watching the show being taped. How come Hollywood gets an exemption? If we really want to solve this, what we should do is tell politicians they get 1200 bucks to live on for 11 months and see how quickly this gets solved. Yeah, I mean, the, the definition of essential workers, Dan, is one thing I hope we can really change here. I mean, how do you tell somebody who's just trying to provide for their family or keep a, their dream of their own business open and alive that their work is not essential? Exactly. And I hope Rick Santelli goes from founding the Tea Party to the rules for the party, because that's what we've seen. Rules for thee, but not for me. How many different politicians ignore their own rules? Meanwhile, People are being hurt, real people, non-essential workers, quote unquote, bar owners, waitresses, bartenders, people in the service industry are losing their livelihoods, losing their life dreams because of arbitrary and capricious lockdown rules that are just totally ignored by businesses who get exemptions to them, businesses like Walmart, Target, Amazon that never were forced to shut down. It's the mom and pop stores that are the ones that are hurting. Yeah, we've seen this transfer of wealth from Main Street to Silicon Valley and Wall Street. Uh, Jeff Bezos certainly isn't struggling. Uh, neither is the uh, CEO of Zoom or any of these other companies uh, that, that rely so much on technology. And we see California now, 85% of Californians are under these new strict stay-at-home orders through Christmas and the rest of the holiday season, Ari. I would imagine we're going to see more backlash, uh, just like we saw on Staten Island. Oh, yeah, 100%, especially if we continue seeing these elected officials like Gavin Newsom going to this restaurant, French Laundry. I loved the taco stand that put up a big sign that said they are now calling their outdoor seating area French Laundry because it was literally the day after Gavin Newsom was there that the mayor of San Francisco was caught at the exact same place. Just as Dan says, rules for thee and not for me. And the longer that these politicians keep this up, the more pushback you're going to see to these restrictions. Yeah, I think so, too. And, you know, Dan, you look at this, um, we see these protests in California, too. I mean, these are not bastions of conservative thought. This is human nature taking root here. This is survival instincts. Right. This has little to do with politics and everything to do with people fighting for their very livelihoods and lives. These are people who just want to do what We've always been told that we could do free from government control in this country, and that's operate within the framework of laws and regulations to pursue happiness the way that we see fit. To go to work, to open businesses, to be free from government control. That's And it crosses political lines. This crosses every ideological line that we have. This is something that all Americans want and all Americans should be guaranteed. Yeah, you know, you think about today too, Pearl Harbor Day. They're not even having the Pearl Harbor remembrances this year. So many things have been affected by this and you wonder, you know, when this is all over with, what's going to be left? You know, how willing are people going to be? I think we're all a little bit weaker as a result of this, not just the disease itself, but the way some people have responded in the way that you would expect them not to do so when they're threatened. But Dan, all right, we'll see you guys in the next hour. We're going to talk about teachers in San Diego and how they were just being taught that they were racist what they're being forced to do now to make up for it. That's going to come up next hour with Ari and Dan. Also, Gary Nicolmine, your early morning system for all things insane in the great state of Washington. And 
It's unofficial capital, Seattle. I'm your host, Ari Hoffman. Well, hope you're enjoying all the space behind me. I know we've had those fun digital backdrops the past few days, but I'm finally in our brand new studios and still have a little bit of work to do. But I want to get today's episode out, so none of the fun accoutrement behind me. But let's start with today's latest news, which is Washington State Governor Jay Inslee announced the extension of his coronavirus mandate restrictions through at least January 4th, 2021. What does that mean? No Christmas, no Hanukkah, no Kwanzaa, no New Year's, if you choose to follow the governor's restrictions. Somehow, judging by Thanksgiving, I think that people are not going to give this as much attention as they should, according to the governor. Here's the thing that bothers me. Where is the science that says you have to keep gyms shut down? Show me all the cases that have come from gyms. Where is the science that shows me that this thing hits small businesses and not Walmart and not Home Depot? and not Amazon warehouses. Where is the science behind any of that? Where is the science of the spread behind in restaurants? Where is it? Please show it to me. Jay Inslee, I invite you to come on my show and explain to me where any of the science is because I can't find it anywhere. And until you produce it, I'm not going to listen to your restrictions. When I go out, I wear a mask in the stores because the stores, that's their rules if I want to shop there, which I understand and I can appreciate, but I'm still going to gather with family. I'm still going to do all those things, no matter what you say, because it's a thing called the Constitution. And you can't just willy-nilly get rid of it, even if there's a pandemic. And I'll tell you that all these restrictions you're putting on people make them less likely to follow them. Because you say that you're following the science and data, and you are, you are not produced the science and data to back it up. You also keep telling us, let's remember, it's the nine-month anniversary of two weeks to flatten the curve. These new restrictions you said were put on in November and you said they were going to go till December 14th and now you're saying they're going through January 4th. How much longer are they going to go on after that? And tell me, all these people wearing masks, tell me what difference this makes when there is a 90% uh, population, 90% of the population is following these mask mandates and we still have this massive spread happening. And it's happening in states which have shutdowns. It's happening in states that don't have shutdowns at the same rate. Please explain to me how any of this is going to help stop the virus, especially when there's a vaccine on the way this month. No, all it's going to do is put more businesses out of business. And I talk about this from experience. It's going to put more people out of work, increase substance abuse, increase addiction, increase suicide. These kids are suffering in online schools. You won't let them go back to school. Thank God my kids are in private school. And meanwhile, you let protesters continue what they're doing. I'm sure there hasn't been a single case traced back to the protesters, even though protesters are posting on their social media sites. These rioters and protesters are posting about COVID exposure. Meanwhile, I haven't seen that at restaurants, haven't seen that at gyms, haven't seen that at bowling alleys. So please spare me all this nonsense. Some are quick to wonder that if the situation is so dire, why the National Guard hasn't been called up to set up field hospitals like they did at the start of epidemic, at the epidemic. Remember those field hospitals, the ones that went unused, having seen no patients and were dismantled after a week in service? If things are so bad, call them up now. Governor Inslee also announced an additional $50 million in state grants and loans, which will be available to small businesses, in addition to the $50 million announced in late November. Anybody want to bet if anybody will actually get any of this money? Really, any businesses? I'll apply. I'll go through the process for my event rental company. We'll see where it gets me. But even if you split up all of that money among the businesses that are left in Washington, it's a drop in the bucket. It's a drop in the bucket. This is not going to sustain them. Many businesses fear it will not be enough or come in time to save their companies or their livelihoods or the livelihoods of their employees. 
Inslee claims that the hardest hit hospitality and leisure industry will be the primary focus of the new grants. We'll find out. That's the industry I'm in. We'll find out. Newly released data released by Visit Seattle and Smith Travel Research shows that Seattle's hotel industry has the worst occupancy rates along the entire West Coast with an occupancy rate of only 20%. Over 25 hotels have closed. Over 130 restaurants will not reopen in downtown Seattle. The hospitality industry says it stands to lose over 100,000 jobs because of the new restrictions. The city and state could lose upward of $651 million in tax revenue. You think that would have affected them. All of a sudden they go, we're losing tax revenue. Maybe this isn't such a good idea. I say that the media will honestly report on this when it starts affecting their advertising revenue. When their advertising revenue starts going so low, that they have to start acknowledging how this is going on or they're not going to be in business anymore, maybe that's when you'll see a change from the Seattle media groups. Washington State Hospitality Association warns that 35% of restaurants could close for good. The pandemic and restrictions are not the only contributing factor to the business's closures. Many business owners place the blame squarely on the politicians who failed to quell the ongoing riots in the city and the armed occupation of six blocks of Seattle, which became national news including Inslee's comments claiming that he had not heard about the occupation from any credible source. So meanwhile, you're shutting down all these businesses, but you're allowing rioters to go on. It's making national news and people don't want to come visit Seattle. Also because they know there's restrictions here. Why would they come visit? Meanwhile, people want to go to Vegas and people want to go to Florida. The restrictions come even as Great Britain gave out their first doses of the coronavirus vaccine and American health officials confirmed their optimistic outlook of the Pfizer vaccine, which they hope will be given out to American citizens this month once federal approval is received. These restrictions are, as usual, hypocritical, contradictory, make no sense whatsoever. And notice the states that are continuing to do it, even though they say that the CDC is saying reopen schools. Even though the CDC is saying that you're doing this and you're hurting people and you're seeing the suicide rate jump up and stuff. No, we're just going to ignore all that. If it isn't already in your city, if it isn't already in your state, it will be soon. Don't say, I didn't warn you. We'll be back after a brief word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Canary in a Coal Mine. I am joined by my friend Fernando Neuenschwander, who is just a great friend of mine. We met pretty much by accident during the campaign, did some work together, remained friends afterwards. And when Fernando and I talk about the effect these shutdowns are having on businesses, he has a unique perspective. Not just was he in the military, not just is he a business owner, but he also survived socialism. Fernando, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Um, well, that's true. Um, and I think that a lot of times, not all, but I would say that most of the youth tends to forget. Um, I'm originally from Peru. Uh, I lived there until I was about 11 years old. And then I went back every year for the whole summer. Um, in the early 90s, we had a, a, a socialist slash communist movement. It was a civil war, that's um, what it was. And it was directed against a, a rebel group that was called the Shining Path, Sendero Luminoso. And like Lenin said, uh, the aim of socialism is communism. Um, and and that's, that's essentially the way that this evolved. It started out as a group of young college students uh, listening to the crazy words of a mad professor 
who became invigorated, eventually spread through the masses, and it turned into an all-out civil war that went from peaceful protests to, I remember being home and hearing the booms and the shaking of the windows because a local TV station got bombed. Um, they eventually started targeting capitalism, so they started bombing movie theaters. And these, 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 uh, these uh, coche bombas or car bombs started happening all over the city. And I remember uh, my parents having to be home by a certain time, looking out my window, seeing um, military vehicles driving around. And if you didn't have your papers and the police stopped you or the military stopped you, you would be detained and, and you would go who knows where and be asked questions and interrogated. And um, luckily communism did not prevail, but um, those were really hard times for me, for my country. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed. I consider myself to have two countries, um, native of Peru. And by the grace of God, I, I was able to, uh, to uh, become naturalized as a US citizen and had the privilege, as you said, to serve in the US military for eight years. Um, for me, this is always a tough question and I might get some flack for my family, but um, if I had to choose, I would choose America. Um, again, that's why my family and I moved here, not because it was the land of guarantees, but because if it, was, it was the land of opportunity. And that's how I just, I was inspired after the military to start my own business. And I was lucky enough to meet you. So let me ask you a question, because your perspective is very valuable as having been through this before. What are warning signals you look for or similarities that you see between what happened in Peru and what you see going on now in the U.S. that give you pause or give you concern? Well, that's a great question. Some of it is very obvious. Um, some, of, some of the symbolism that has been taken on by Antifa and... Um, and some sectors of the, of the BLM movement um, are very traditionalist, as far as icon um, iconography goes, um, to, to certain socialist and communist posters that I saw growing up. And I'm not gonna limit that to just Peru. Um, I've traveled to, I think, 36 different countries and a few of those have been communist countries like, uh, the People's Republics of Laos, uh, Cambodia, China. And whenever I see a star and a fist in the air, I get panicked. I, I have a little mini, mini stroke of fear. If, um, and, and I'm seeing that a lot. I'm seeing um, the, the protesters dressed in all black. That just kind of reminds me of, uh, of uh, the 1950s in China. <laughs> You know, um, so those are some of the obvious signs that 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 just bring back bad memories uh, and uh, no pun intended, race red flags. Um, some of the more, um, I would say, covert signs, uh, I think that, I, again, I'll go back to saying that the youth oftentimes does not remember and the youth oftentimes tends to be very idealistic. So this isn't like traditional socialist revolutions that I've heard about or, or experienced myself. This is almost a, a, a neo-type of socialism, a neo-type of communism that is um, camouflaging itself under the blanket of social justice. And 
of course, social justice is important. Racial equality is important. I myself have been discriminated. I, I've been called all sorts of names growing up uh, because of my Hispanic background. But, um, and I was told that I would face some of that moving here. Um, and, and I did, I faced it. And I think that I rose above it. And I, I think that's what America is all about, is, 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 is about enduring the, these sort of hardships, assimilating, and then moving beyond it. Because I think, I still believe that if you do work hard enough, you can actually maybe not reach all of your dreams or else I'd be living in a castle. Um, but, um, sorry, did that cut out for a second? Yeah, you're good. But I do believe that if you, that America has, has, has given me great opportunities that I would have never had in Peru. I, I'm a much better man because I, I lived in this country. You know, when you mention the things you see plainly and the things in secret, there's things that are more hidden. Like, for example, when I saw that you're going to need some kind of vaccination card, a card mm. to show you've been vaccinated, that reminds me of the papers thing, what my relatives went through in the socialist countries they escaped. That kind of bothers me because right now, when you go to school, you know that you are signing up your kids and they have to be vaccinated. And those are the rules of the school. That's the rules you play by. And if you want to send your kids. Now, if you want to remain home and not send your kids to school because you don't want to get them vaccinated or whatever, that's your prerogative. But there's still some schools, especially religious ones, that allow you to do that, even if they're not vaccinated. What scares me is that soon are we going to have to give our ID and passport when you're getting on airplane plus your vaccination card? That kind of stuff seems like a violation of our freedoms, whereas we're totally taking the trust away from people and giving it to the government. And Ronald Reagan said that when socialism, communism comes, it's going to come in the form of liberalism. And that's really what I see going on right now. I absolutely agree. Uh, one thing that really alarmed me today in the morning news was that um, the CEO of a major Australian airline has, has already made it public that they may be requiring proof of vaccination if you're to board any of their aircrafts. And I believe, or my fear is that um, this sort of fear mongering is going to be utilized to create uh, global health law. Um, and it's gonna highly um, affect commerce, uh, travel and culture. And I'm worried because when you look at this kind of stuff and see that we're giving over, we're giving away our rights, that's something that's not based in science. There has been no spread linked to an airplane. There have been people who've traveled and brought it with them, but there's no spread linked to an airplane because airplanes have these massive filtration systems. It doesn't seem like we're basing anything in science. For example, you, you were a restaurant owner, right? I was an yes. event rental owner. These are companies we had. And these companies were shut down, even though there was no link to our businesses and what's going on. I was doing backyard rentals, no links to anything. You were having restaurants, there's no link to restaurants, to gyms, to anything. And yet they're just shutting everything down as if it's a one size fits all. Meanwhile, suicide is skyrocketing. Drug abuse is skyrocketing. People are losing livelihoods. They can't pay for their families anymore. I mean, we should tell our politicians, hey, you take $1,200 for nine months and see how you survive and see how it goes. That's something that really scares me more than anything else. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so I used to have a restaurant and it was in Belltown. You know, when I got out of the military, um, my last, uh, the last place that I was stationed at was in Japan. So when I got out, I had a good amount of savings in my pocket. Um, I had my college paid for. I could have gone and lived anywhere in the world, anywhere. 
I could have grabbed the map, spun it, pointed my finger there and gone like, okay, guess I'm going to Italy um, or New York or Detroit. But I didn't. I, I made the decision to come back to Seattle in 2012 because the Seattle of 2012 was a much different Seattle. It was a, a Seattle that was cosmopolitan. It was diverse. You, you could pretty much go to, I mean, walk down any street and find any type of food, whether it's Ethiopian, Thai, Chinese, American, New American. And seeing the Seattle today, where you can't do that, you're, you're restricted to like, let's say uh, calling Uber Eats and have it delivered by some random guy, who knows where his hands have been, dropped off to your place. But my restaurant did not survive that. It did not survive the first shutdown. Um, and right when we went into phase two and we could open at an already a ridiculous only 20% capacity, the city at the same time, I mean, literally a day later, they decide to rip out the entire sidewalk in front of my place so I can't even have outside seating. And meanwhile, um, I'm still getting charged anywhere between $7,500 to $10,000 a month in rent. So how is a small business owner supposed to survive that? Especially you know? when you have rioters bashing out your windows and targeting downtown. What, what is somebody supposed to do? Really, what's somebody supposed to do? And you're screaming about racial equality. Meanwhile, you're, 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 you're going to a Peruvian guy's restaurant who immigrated here and you're just, you're, you're throwing rocks through his windows. You're spray painting his storefront. It, it's just, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. I, I'm embarrassed to, to tell people that I live in Seattle now. We've become a national joke. Fernando, thanks so much for being with us. I'm sorry for what you're going through, but I think this is a reason we're friends because we always find ways of bouncing back somehow despite whatever's thrown at us. And that's why hopefully we're going to be working together soon. Fernando, thanks so much for joining us. And we'll be back after a brief word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Canary in a Coal Mine. Remember that if you like the podcast, to rate, subscribe, and share. If you hate the podcast, continue taking the clips of things you don't like and putting them on Twitter and social media because I got to say, every time you guys do that, my ratings go up, which means more money for me for my advertisers. So I greatly appreciate all of you who are working so hard to get me in front of so many new audience members. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Yesterday, we discussed Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin resigning or saying she's not seeking a new term in office. And we talked a little bit about the people that might be getting political payoffs who might be running for office. So I want to get a little bit deeper into this because a lot of you reached out to me and said, what are you talking about? This is the first I've heard about it. So let me break it down for you so you understand exactly what's going on. The Seattle City Council is bypassing um, process in order to funnel taxpayer dollars to political allies. It was revealed last week that the Seattle City Council is using a loophole to circumvent the bidding process and appropriated $3 million to nonprofit organizations that were part of the Capitol Hill Occupied protest and lobbied the council since early summer to defund the Seattle Police Department and use the money for community programs. This money appears to be more of a political payoff than investing in the community. 
According to SCC Insights, which if you don't follow, you should. You can ignore their national perspectives on life or what, like them if you want. I personally don't like their national perspectives. I like their local coverage of Seattle City Council. According to SEC Insight, the council awarded the entire $3 million in a single contract to King County Equity Now through the office of Socialist Council Member Tammy Morales. King County Equity Now has lobbied the council since early summer to defund the SPD and use the savings to invest in community-led programs. But there was a snag. King County Equity Now is not a 501c3 nonprofit, and thus the council could not bypass the bidding process to give them a contract. King County Equity Now claims that it is a 501c4 organization and has applied for 501c3 status that has registered with the state of Washington as a nonprofit conforming to the 501c3 rules. As of the writing of this, the IRS's website for looking up Section 501 nonprofits does not list King County Equity Now as either. As either. So it's not that they're trying to change their stats. They're not listed as either one. Okay. What's the difference? That's a lot of complicated tax lingo you just threw at me and I don't understand any of it. The key difference between a 501c3 and a 501c4 organization is that there are lobbying requirements. A 501c3 must keep its lobbying efforts to an insubstantial level, usually less than 10 to 20%, which is why schools, synagogues, churches shouldn't really be doing any political lobbying. A 501c3 organization can potentially lose its right to be tax-exempt if the organization indirectly participates in political activity. Donations to a 501c3 are also tax-deductible. So for example, at my synagogue, some Israel events that they push, if they're political in nature, they also have to represent the opposite perspective, which is really funny when you hear them talk about it. SEC Insight continued that the council solved its contradicting problem by enlisting Freedom Project, a Seattle-based 501c3 with an annual budget of around $250,000 as a fiscal agent to be the official contractor who will in turn subcontract all the research work to King County Equity now. So while technically legal, in principle, the council is exploiting a legal loophole in order to award $3 million contract directly to an organization that doesn't meet the requirements for bypassing the bidding requirements. Who is King County Equity now? The organization that was rewarded with $3 million of taxpayer money. King County Equity now is one of the main groups advocating that the Seattle City Council defund the Seattle Police Department. That demand has been met by council by City Council, which finalized their 2021 budget last week, that defunded SPD another 18% amidst record-breaking crime. These guys were also in the chop. The organizations that make up King County Equity now were in the chop, in the armed occupation of Seattle. In her attempt to pacify groups like King County Equity Now during the riots against the police department and during the CHOP, Mayor Durkin made promises of funding programs and public buildings that would be turned over to the community. King County Equity Now advocates for pay the fee, where Seattle businesses typically in the Central District are supposed to pay King County Equity Now a fee for the privilege of doing business there. Ian Eisenberg, owner of Uncle Ike's Pot Shops, told the Post Millennial that the groups that are encouraging this in Seattle, they're getting paid. They are getting money and property from the city. It's working, so why would they consider? Why would they not consider doing it? I've been told so many times that if I gave money just a few years ago to the Black Book Club, my problems would go away. In other cities, it is just called extortion, end quote. So they're targeting his businesses all the time because he won't pay the fee to this nonprofit that adv advocates for racial justice. That sounds like the mafia to me. Only in Seattle could they let you get away with this and they'll give you a $3 million contract, but they won't bring you up on charges. King County was at the, oh, a person behind that, keep this name in the back of your minds, is Nikita Oliver. She organizes these pay the fee events. 
King County Equity now is at the center of the CHOP, or CHAZ, whatever you want to call it, when armed activists took control of six-block radius of Seattle. Two of the leaders of this group are on a list of coalition organizations, multiple organizations, that are receiving payments and the leadership of King County Equity now, Kay Wiking Garrett from Africatown Organizations, and Nikita Oliver of the People's Party. Told you her name would be relevant again. A July article in the Puget Sound Business Journal, Africatown explains how they bullied Mary's Place, a battered woman's shelter, into vacating a property the shelter had paid rent because Africatown wanted it and they objected to the fact that those running the shelter were white, despite most of their clients being women of color. Yes, this is who we just gave $3 million to, or at least a piece of it. Garrett is the son of Omari Tahir Garrett and founder of the Umaja Umawa, how do you pronounce that? I don't know, Peace Center, another King County Equity Now coalition organization who assaulted a former Seattle mayor, went to jail for it, and has been involved and filmed in frequent anti-Jewish, anti-Asian threats, abuse, and bigotry. Check this out. Why is that? Because if church people don't want you there. And you're, and you're, you're not going to be here long either. Why? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? You're going to go back where you came yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. Where's that? We're Germany. Come on. Go back. What's now you're going to go back to Germany. What's Let them Nazis get on you again. Is that what you want? You stupid ass fool. Go so put a dope store next to a church in Germany. Go back to Germany and put a dope store next to a church in Germany. You little cowardly. Yeah, you a cowardly little criminal. I hope you feel good. What's your name? What's your name? Johnson Control. What's your name? What is your name? No, don't get up there and touch that thing. I'm going to call my boss then. Uh, yeah, don't get up there. You tell no. the owner of the oh, bank, yeah. uh, Liberty Bank is here. Yeah, I'm going to call This is that. May 21st, uh, 2013. Okay. Yeah, don't touch that. Okay, because I'm going to take your don't picture. Don't touch that. No, don't touch that. Okay, this is my dad's started this bank. Yeah. Okay. I'll take your picture. Okay. Today. Yeah. Because I'm going to call my boss. Yeah. Then. You call uh, your boss. That, that Johnson Control yeah. Company. Yeah. Because that's a... Uh, yeah. That, Listen, where, where are you from? Well, that, I, I work in Johnson No, I said, where are you no, from? No, no, no. no. I don't get Johnson caught up Control. in this. The owner of no, the bank... Yeah, who, but listen. ...who, who contacted yeah, this... Yeah. You know, they want me yeah. to remove it. Yeah. Okay. For what reason? So, what reason? Yeah. Because they, they never they never signed the, the contract yet for and, that. And listen, the they owner. don't have to sign the contract. The people that started this bank no. own the bank. Yeah, I know. And Key Bank didn't start called. the bank. That's why they call me. That's why they call me. Remove the banner. Do you That's have the Do you have me. the legal papers on this? That's why I got the legal me. papers on it. Well, I got a, I got a okay. company here that they told me. I yeah, just well, you, the you tell them the guy said, don't, don't oh, yeah. touch it. Oh, yeah, I will. He said, he said don't I touch it. I will, I will. Because you, know you know who Liberty Bank is? I know Liberty Bank. Okay, you what is Liberty Key Bank? Bank too? Okay, Key Bank is not who built this building. That's a Key Bank owner. Key Bank, they, they don't own it. No, they own it. No, they don't own they it. Own it. No. That's why they call No, they don't own it. That's why they call They don't own it. The people that built the bank own it. They didn't pay for it. Did they buy it? That's what I mean. Yeah. They, they didn't buy it. No. They no, it. they didn't buy it. Yeah. They didn't buy it. How much? What was the purchase price? I don't know. Okay, don't then. You don't, don't know what you're talking people. about. That's why I said leave it alone. That's that's why I call it. That's why I said leave it alone. No. 
They want me to go there. Yeah, well, you listen, you don't. Well, if somebody told you to jump off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? I work in the. If somebody bank. told you to go to Vietnam, would you go to Vietnam? You know what? Don't huh? yell at me. You're harassing me. I'm not harassing you. Yeah, you I can call. The I'm police talking. Right call the police. Yeah. Call the police. You're harassing me. Call the police. Yeah, the police. Call me. the police. What's your name anyway? Uh, don't call me. Don't ask me. Just huh? Call the Johnson. What is your name? You don't take uh, responsibility for your action? Uh, no. Because it's court action. No. You're going to be right in the middle of it. Uh, go ahead. If you touch you that sign. You touch that. I don't deal with the police. I deal with Native Americans. You know what a Native American is? It's the you owner of the all Asia? this land. You know the Asia? Yeah, they belong in okay, Asia. You're harassing me. Yeah, right you belong now? in Asia. You don't belong in the Native Americans' land. Uh, so how did you get over oh, here? Daniel, How did okay. you get over here? Okay. Don't you have a country? Okay. Don't you have a country? Are you in Asia? Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, they, there's the, the, a guy here From Liberty Bank. Liberty Bank. The owner of Liberty Bank is here. Yeah, they're harassing the me founder. right now. They said, I'm the Asian. No, you, I'm not belong here. No, talk about the bank. Talk about the bank. Talk about the bank. Well, go to Asia. This ain't Asia. This ain't Asia. This is Liberty Bank. Tahir Garrett ran for Seattle City Council and spent his entire campaign advocating for Tammy Morales to be elected. You know the one whose office all this money's flowing through? Does this beginning to sound like a political payoff to you? Nikita Oliver was also advocating for Tammy Morales all the time and vice versa. Is this beginning to sound like political money laundering? Political payoffs. You get me elected, I get you the money. Doesn't it sound a little bit like that right now? Yeah. Oliver had also advocated heavily for Morales and targeted Eisenberg. Tyre Garrett, Oliver, and Morales have advocated for defunding the police and giving the money to community groups while also advocating for less prisons and releasing criminals. Meanwhile, we have a massive spike in crime. I'm sure one has nothing whatsoever to do with the other. Oliver has been one of the leaders behind the ongoing protests and riots in Seattle, which target businesses already suffering from mandated coronavirus shutdowns. Who are most of their employees? people of low income, people down on their luck, you're putting them out of work and you're walking away with $3 million. Many of the other groups in the coalition have broken or non-functioning URLs. Locations in, in apartments are non-existent in any records or have the same people in leadership while some are not even in King County, let alone Seattle, and yet millions of dollars of Seattle taxpayer money is being given to these groups. Many are alleging corruption, political payoffs, and laundering of taxpayer money. I'm not alleging it, it's happening. SEC Insight succinctly sums up what many Seattleites fear with this process. Quote, there are many yellow and red flags on this project. It's a very large amount of money being handed to an organization that lobbied hard for it and contracted through a dubious loophole that bypasses standard process guaranteed to ensure that the city is getting a good deal. The contract itself is weak on the details of schedules, deliverables, and tracking the money. But it's not at all clear that $3 million will be well spent or that generating the same or better results couldn't be accomplished with a much smaller amount of money. This is what happens when you vote in these people and there is no opposition from another party. We have socialists and we have Democrats. So there are no Republicans, no conservatives, no libertarians, nobody who is the opposition to these guys. So now they are literally taking your money, not helping out the businesses they closed, nothing. And they are funneling it into these organizations. So now you can't get the police anymore, but these organizations get millions of dollars. 
This is all corrupt. Don't say I didn't warn you. We'll be back later in the week with another episode of Canary in a Coal Mine.